backstage with Mothership on Solid Rock Radio begins now. Hear the best in new music, artist interviews, stories from the road, and more. You are now backstage, and here's your host, Mothership. Hey everybody, James Mead of Cutlass has some exciting things to tell us about, so let's just not waste any time getting to this conversation. So I have James Mead, one of yep. the founding members of Cutlass. Hey, how you doing? I am quite well. I'm excited to be talking to you. How are you? I'm doing great. Can you give me a little bit of a, a background of how Cutlass got started? I seem to remember it being a college campus worship team. Am I wrong or am I right? No, you're right. That's true. We started here in Portland, Oregon, and um, a bunch of the guys in the band were going to Warner Pacific College. That's in southeast Portland. And we lived in a house together right across from the dorms and everything. And our basement was, quote unquote, soundproofed because we hung up blankets and stuff like that. (laughs) You know, yes, we did perform uh, for chapel often. This was before I joined their band. But yeah, started off as like a group of friends that met in college and wanted to play music together for chapel and then started writing uh, original music. So I was in a different band and we were more heavier rock than what uh, the band originally was um, before I joined. And, you know, when we made our first record in uh, the summer of 2001, when we were writing that, we had no idea that we were about to be sent on a 20 year plus mission to go preach the gospel. But yeah, later that summer, an A&R rep from Tooth and Nail Records that I had met at work, I invited him to come to our house and watch us play some music. And it happened to be Tuesday, September 11th, uh, 2001. So <gasps> my goodness, he came over that morning and was like, hey, guys, I know today's just kind of a crazy day now. But you know, this was our day we had scheduled. You still want to do this? And you know, we had woken up that morning feeling really excited to play music for a label. And then of course, received the shocking news of the attacks on New York City and and then other places as the hours dragged on. But that was a really special day for us uh, in that we got to share our music with Tooth & Nail Records and begin a relationship with them that has lasted over 20 years as well. And we really felt like God commissioned us that day to go forth and share the gospel with the world, share his testimony through song. So, yeah, that's kind of how we got started. And we went right out on tour right away. We went out with the Supertones and Pac-217 and a punk rock band called Slick Shoes. We were the opener on that tour. We had an EP with us that had three songs on it that we had just (laughs) recorded with Aaron Sprinkle, just so we had something to, like, you know, share music with fans out on the road. But, yeah, it was a crazy time. We went right out on tour. Wow. Your head was spinning, I'm sure. Very much, very much. I remember the first show of that tour actually was in a place called Worcester, Massachusetts. Great, great show. But right before I walked on stage, my head was literally spinning. I was so dizzy and so nervous and like, man, here we go. And uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that went away after a while. We've obviously performed thousands and thousands of times all over the world now, but I still remember that first night. I bet. Well, how did we get the name Cutlass? Interesting story there as well. So the band was actually had a different name before I joined and very different music, too, by the way. Um, It's called Callbox, which is kind of a device on the highways out here on the West Coast, at least. It's sort of an emergency phone on the road. The original idea was like, well, that's sort of a a metaphor uh, for prayer. You know, that's a lot like prayer. And um, 
Then we kind of changed our sound when I joined. We wanted to become more of like a hard rock band, like our first album. Then when we got signed by Tooth & Nail Records, we were going through the record contract, you know, with our attorney and and looking at everything. And it got to the point in the paperwork where it said we had to copyright our name. And we found out that a band had already copyrighted Callbox. So we looked at it as a new opportunity to just start over. So we came up with a new name and kind of made up our own word, I guess. Uh, But basically, we wanted the story of our band name to be able to share the gospel uh, if people asked us, you know, what's your band name? What's that mean? So Cutlass is this. Jesus Christ bore the sins and the the cuts uh, on, on the cross that we deserve for the prices of sin. And therefore, as we get to stand before God, the Holy Father, we are cutless. We are without blemish before God because Jesus Christ indeed took our sins upon himself at the cross. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, when did y'all start scaling back a little bit with the touring? Well, about five years ago, I'd say, is when kind of the first tremors uh, shook through the Cutlass world and, and we kind of put things on pause. And uh, that led to uh, about a five-year hiatus at this point. We've continued to play some shows, uh, not not a lot. I think the last time we went on a tour tour where we booked an entire run of shows, uh, which was with our awesome friends, Disciple, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was maybe 2018. So that's like the last time we did a real tour. Tour. But in 2015, 2016, right around there, we, um, man, I'll just, I'll just be honest. I haven't actually spoken about this publicly before, but um, what the heck? We were part of a tour that got booked out, and uh, we were hired to be the headliner. It just all went south real quick. It ended up the whole tour got canceled by that organization and their representative they hired. And we lost a lot of money. We lost like four months of work. And then we had to deal with all these rumors that were being read about us by some people. And, and it was honestly a really, really low point in my life. I felt like I got stabbed a thousand times by People who were calling themselves Christians as well look me in the eyes, telling me one thing, but doing something else behind their backs. And and our families had to pay the price for that. You know, um, mm. it sent us through a period of time over the last five years where we've really dug in deep to find our faith and to find God. And He has been faithful, and He's shown us who He is every step of the way. You know, just like with the prodigal son story, God runs to meet you right where you are. And he knows the truth about you. And he wants to wrap you up in his love. He takes off his robe, just like with his son, and he puts it around us. He covers us and he he takes his ring off and puts it on your finger to symbolize how special you are to him, that you're part of this covenant, this everlasting covenant with him. And then just like that story, I think that father walks his son the rest of the way home to his house, right? So that's what's happening in our faith journeys as well. When we meet the Lord, he comes to us and he's faithful to us throughout our whole lives, even when it feels like he's not there, or even if it feels like we've run far away, he's right there. And and that's what happened to us throughout the last five years. God showed up and I think he did a profound ministry in, in like walking us through this, you know, walking us back home. So, um, yeah, we haven't put out music for several years. We haven't been on tour for several years. And and yet our fans are still there and they're supportive. And to be honest, right now we feel more full of music and more full of creativity and more full of purpose than ever before. 
Now, tell us about when your social media got hacked recently. It took you a long time to get that back, didn't it? Yes. (laughs) There were many things that happened within this last five years. But y'all did eventually regain that back, correct? We have, thankful to our fans who really advocated for us with Facebook. Um, I mean, it happened twice in a row, actually, though. We we had all of it back for about a week, and then it happened again. Uh, And then the last time was longer and actually harder to get Facebook to uh, work with us at that point. Um, Huge shout out to the whole Cutlass family. Everyone was really helping us and and supporting us. And I mean, it, it really is remarkable to look at the people that have been there for us over the years and and to just know that we're part of something special in your lives as well is something that I just feel so honored by every day, every day. Just been doing spiritual push-ups, I think, for the last five years, you know? Backstage with Mothership returns after this. Check us out on Facebook at I'm with Mothership. Out Performance Shop is a proud supporter of Solid Rock Radio. They specialize in retail and wholesale of automotive, high-performance, racing, and off-road products. They also carry a variety of accessories from remote control cars to rock and roller multi-carts. On the web at outperformance.com. I would love people to hear your testimony, those people that haven't heard it yet, because uh, God did a huge work in your life, and I think it could uh, really help other people to hear it. Of course, I would be honored. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Bible story I just referenced a moment ago, the parable of the prodigal son, features quite large in my faith journey. But I'll start at the beginning. I was born in the early 80s and my parents separated and divorced before I was one. Uh, I grew up with no dad, basically, and um, raised by a single mom. Church was not part of my life. Uh, you know, after my my dad left, I think my mom was very sad and um, wanted a relationship again and, and always wanted to have a partner in life. The next several guys were not great. And one of those guys that stayed around for several years was very physically abusive to me and Beyond hurting me, he was in control of our environment entirely um, Mm. by fear. And I think that that is often the way with abusers, even if they're not physically harming you, they're manipulating your environment and your emotions and they're trying to control your life. And at age eight, I started to have these pretty mature thoughts. I'm looking at the world around me and I see often that adults that have gone through this kind of victimization often grow up to become permanent victims. This situation that's happening to me right now could change me forever. And that was scary to me at age eight. So I made a pact with myself. We lived very, very close, like literally right next door to the parking lot of the library. And I said, I'm going to pursue knowledge. I'm going to be smarter than this guy because maybe I can't fight him off. But if I can be smarter than him and keep him out of my head, then I win. So anyway, at age 11, we had an altercation and then I ran away. That was kind of the first opportunity to really tell my mom all of the truth about what was happening. Mm -hmm. And um, she believed me and decided to do something about it right away and separated from him. So she was like, you know, we don't have to live here. We can just move. So we sold everything and uh, bought plane tickets and we flew to New Mexico, moved in with my grandparents, which was an awesome 
uh, year because they're awesome. I love them so much. It was just like this sweet, peaceful oasis for me. It was really perfect. I also found an electric guitar under a bed in the guest room and started playing guitar that year. I would take it out from under the bed and play it and I would put it back because I thought I was going to get in trouble. <laughs> my grandpa was a musician and, you know, my grandma, her brother was in a band and she was like, no, go ahead, sweetie, play it. Eventually they brought it to me at a Cutlass concert years and years later and they said, this was Aww. your guitar and uh, I've been getting it restored. So, yeah, super cool. So, yeah, I lived in New Mexico for one year. We kind of spent that year getting our feet back under us. And then we moved up to Albany, Oregon the next year. And at that point, I guess I felt far enough away that my attitude just snapped. I became the person that is the permanent victim trying to fight the world around me. And I was trauma was controlling me at that point. So I started doing drugs around that time. I was getting in fights a lot. I was running around doing whatever I wanted, just getting drunk a lot. The drunkenness part lasted up until age 17. At this point, I was in a band for a while and we had started to kind of become popular. Um, but my life was a wreck. Uh, I got alcohol poisoning my 17th birthday and almost died. So I had kind of hit a rock bottom moment. I felt ashamed of living like that behaving like that, thinking like that. I had some friends at school that I was friendly with, I should say. I didn't necessarily hang out with them because they weren't doing bad stuff and I was. So, But these friends, these Christian friends, they kept saying things to me at school like, hey, we're praying for you, buddy. Or like, we love you, man. We think you're awesome. And just being encouraging and just being friends. And I was like, what in the world? What is up with these people? And they <laughs> invited me to youth group. Uh, a bunch of times. I turned them down a million times and then I went and I was so critical. I was like Mr. Judgmental. I walked in and I'm looking around and I was like, I recognize all these kids from my school and I'm just like, all these kids are dorks. You know, I'm just so <laughs> like, they're singing these songs that I've never heard and everyone seems to know them. And I'm like, is this like a Disney movie? You guys all know these songs I've never heard. They're like lifting their hands and and singing and, and their eyes are closed and some of them are crying. And honestly, I had never seen people express their love for God in that way. As the night went on, you know, and I'm watching these peers from high school try to play their instruments in the worship band and I'm being judgmental about that. I really had a bad attitude. And then the youth pastor gets up on stage and he starts preaching. And this is honestly, this is the first time I really like heard the gospel preached to me with clarity, um, with purpose, with vision. And it was through the parable of the prodigal son, which I referenced. So in my life, this story started to unfold before me. And I was thinking, wow, I really relate to this a lot. And, and the part where the Holy Spirit really touched my heart was where it says that the father was watching and waiting for his son's arrival those words, watching, waiting, that caught my attention. And then what he does next caught my attention, of course. He sees his son while he's still quite a distance away. I identified with that. I was like, well, I'm obviously quite a distance away, but if God is willing to see me and run to me, I should get to know him. And that's what happened in that moment. That Bible story is so full of the imagery of a holy father who loves you, listener, you right now. He loves you and he will run to you where you are, and he will wrap you up, and he will walk you the rest of the way home. That's what he does. His love is perfect, and he is not going to force it on you. But at the first sign of your return, he is watching and waiting already, and he's coming for you, and he loves you. 
And that's what happened to me that night. I really felt the Holy Spirit come upon me and say, James, I know that you don't know what a father is, but I'm your father and uh, I, I want you to be on my team now. So from that point forward, I made a decision to follow Christ that night and I committed my life to him. And um, I actually met my wife that night as well. Lindsay was also at that church and have now been able to build a family together centered around Jesus for the last 20 years and raise our son, Jacob, and let him see the gospel at work in our lives. And I feel like I have an opportunity to course correct kind of the history of my family at this point. Thank you for that beautiful testimony. Okay, there's been some hinting on social media. There's some new music in the works, and I've heard a rumor that it's going to be heavy. What can you tell us? Yeah, I think by now our fans have figured out that we uh, we have some new music coming. And yes, it is going to be very exciting music for those of you who have listened to us since the beginning. That is what I can tell you. <laughs> I'm excited about um, that. There are a lot of us that fell in love with you back in the early days with the heavier stuff. So thank you so much. You know, I guess I'll just add this. I really had a very specific vision for this. Uh, I don't want to call it an album because that's not exactly what we're doing. But all the new music that we're writing and plan to release as we go. People that have read, you know, liner notes and credits and songwriting credits and stuff may have figured this out. But along the years, I'm really the one that has been like pushing the heavy music of Cutlass. And that's not to say that every other part of what we do as a band has felt inauthentic. Like I said at the beginning, we started as a, a worship group for chapel. So, I mean, we love playing worship and we still do worship um, at churches and stuff. And I travel a bit for work for my other job, which I'll talk about in a second. And yeah. And, and when I do that, sometimes I get to go play worship. And, you know, that has always been part of what we do. We also, more than anything, we feel commissioned by God to go preach the gospel to the lost. In my opinion, there is a certain way we need to sound to go do that and hold their attention. I am excited because I basically talked everyone into listening to me on this project. <laughs> I was like, listen, I have a very specific thing I want us to do. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Let's go. You know, we're, we're working with some great PR team now and our, our booking agents getting lots of phone calls. People are excited, man. It's yeah. blowing my mind, to be totally honest, because over the last five years, we've just felt alone and hurt and confused and and we felt like there was still so much to do, you know? Right. Sort of like wandering around a desert. Yeah, it was a wilderness wandering for sure. Yeah. Are you working with Josiah Prince on some of these songs? I thought I heard that. Yes. Josiah and I are essentially running point on the whole thing as far as we... song producing together. How many songs have we got? <laughs> some. <laughs> <laughs> there are several and they're good. And I can't wait to show you guys. Oh, man. Do you produce or write? I am a songwriter at heart, and mostly it comes <laughs> through heavy music. I, I don't have any sort of uh, skills in actually doing the computer work of producing, okay. but I very much consider myself a composer kind of producer, and I do write with other people. I've done that over the years. Okay. This time around, I basically told Josiah, like, hey, I'm going to need your help because I don't know how to do any of this, but I'm full of music right now. And can you help me get it out? And he was like, awesome. Let's go. Yeah. What is Cutlass doing the rest of 2022? 
you know, we're still keeping pretty quiet about that at the moment. Um, we do not have a tour scheduled or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have some dates that we have accepted. And July 16th of 2002 is when the Cutlass self-titled album came out. So since it's our 20-year anniversary this year, we're trying to do like a 20-year anniversary um, celebration thing this summer on that date. Please stay tuned for that. It's going to be special. Um, We're kind of like getting everything set up uh, with the label. Like you have to set up in time for Spotify and and iTunes and all that digital artwork for the single release and marketing and blah, blah, blah. So the whole team, Team Cutlass, Team Transparent Media, Team Tooth and Nail, all of us, we're all together getting this project ready, basically. And then the other reason why it's taking a long time is just life. Life has been happening and we've been growing up a little bit more and We've been going through some stuff that is, frankly, like what everyone has to deal with in life. And I think that to some extent, we're writing more honest music than we ever have. I mean, some of these songs are about these experiences we've gone through, like what it feels like to be betrayed by Christian friends. We are writing songs about stuff like that. What does it feel like to feel like you're questioning your calling in life? We're writing songs about that. Why shouldn't we be talking about these things as Christian people? We should be having healthy discussions about these things to build each other back up into faith, to reconstruct each other, not deconstruct all the time. But we should look for these opportunities to bear one another's burdens in Christ, as the Bible declares, and we should build each other back up. So we've got to be able to talk about things like this, you know, we've got to be able to talk about things in the church that are unhealthy and therefore misrepresenting God to his people. Yes. Amen. James, I think the best is yet to come. I agree. We feel like we have something to say again, finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs to be said. I think so. Thank you. You're listening to Backstage with Mothership on Solid Rock Radio. Tell us about your work with Eastern European Mission. I am one of the regional directors for Eastern European Mission. I represent the West Coast of the United States, the Western U.S., and uh, we have a great team. Uh, Only six other people do what I do. And then we have a team of people over in Eastern Europe. And yeah, I'll tell you and the listeners the history there. So Eastern European Mission, we shorten it to EEM. Uh, 61 years ago, 1961, EEM started when several couples from Abilene Christian University graduated and decided to move over to Vienna, Austria, so they could be as close to the Iron Curtain as possible and start smuggling Bibles across, Russian language Bibles across through these Iron Curtain checkpoints, then distributing them, hundreds of thousands of them, to be honest, in secret to churches and Christians that were meeting in secret all throughout the Soviet Union. And then obviously in 89, communism uh, via the Soviet Union collapsed. Then those countries became independent countries again. And ever since, there's been progress, but there's also been a bit of an upheaval for power. So um, what EEM does is that We are Bible publishers, and we publish, print, and distribute God's Word. 32 different countries. We print the Bible in 25 languages right now, and we give about 1.5 million Bibles a year 
for free all over that part of the world, all over that region. Ukraine was our major hub for a long time for our ministry to grow. And their commitment in faith to distribute Bibles honestly inspired the program in several of the neighboring countries. So as many of our fans know, Cutlass went to Ukraine in 2015, and it kind of changed everything for us. We, we found that spark of ministry that God had called us to. And we knew that God had taken us to a very special place where His Holy Spirit was doing incredible things. We saw tens of thousands of people give their lives to Jesus as we went around Ukraine, 2015 and 2016. I discovered EEM around that time, uh, recommended by a friend and, and reached out to EEM. And I just said, wow, I've had this really incredible experience in Ukraine just now. And, and uh, I see what you guys do. It, this is wonderful. I want to get to know more about your organization. How can I help? So at that point, I started to get to know the staff at EEM and just really become just a passionate supporter myself. You know, Lindsay and I, we were happy to support this ministry and help pay for more Bibles to be printed and distributed. And and honestly, year after year, we keep breaking the record. So last year, 1.5 million Bibles, and that was a record that we broke. And then we started this year 2022 with a request for 2.5 million Bibles. So we're not printing Bibles and giving them to people to put on a shelf. Um, we're giving Bibles to people that are asking. So when I said we got 2.5 million requests, that's really what I meant. So nearly double what we did last year was the requests uh, January 1 of this year. And then since uh, the events have transpired in Ukraine with Russia invading and attacking them, the requests for God's word throughout the region have gone up and up and up. People are desperate to know that there is hope. They're desperate to know that God has a plan for them. They're desperate to know what he says. And for so long, they were told the Bible is false. You can't have it. God isn't real. And they were separated from their faith. And at this point in 2022, I'll tell you what, these folks are like, never again. We're never being separated from God's Word ever again. There is a tenacity and a, and a spirit, particularly from the Ukrainians, but also throughout the region in response to this. We're seeing the church wake back up, too. Mm. But like now that they've seen the light, now that they've discovered Jesus, now that they've been able to develop a relationship with Him through God's Word, they're like, yeah, we're never going back to that. And so EEM is doing a lot of work in the area. We we obviously had to evacuate our employees that live and work in Ukraine. And we've had to provide aid to our other employees in several other countries around there. Our Russian employees are heartbroken that this is happening, as are most of the citizens of Russia. And um, we're trying to get people to safety, of course, but we're also trying to make sure that we're staying focused on our mission, which is to give people God's word. So right now we're doing the Bibles for Kids campaign, which is an annual fundraiser through which we get to provide 800,000 children's Bibles to public school students all over Eastern Europe. So last year we had 21 countries participating in it. This year uh, we're doing 800,000 Bibles. It's 19 different languages. They're teaching the Bible in school and they're learning together and they're celebrating God's word together. And faith is spreading through these communities and people are witnessing to each other, even as 
they're fleeing for their lives. There has been a massive amount of evangelism in the last couple months as these Ukrainians are fleeing their homeland. God is using their testimony in a powerful way to reach out to their neighbors, but also these countries they're fleeing to, you know, primarily Poland, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. And so uh, the Bibles for Kids campaign, we're raising money to distribute those 800,000 Bibles. It's always really fulfilling to see the kids, the students so excited about getting God's Word. And honestly, when they bring home their Bible, they are most likely the first person to walk in their house with a Bible ever. So it's an amazing opportunity to build a foundational faith for these youth. And then they're growing up with this knowledge of Jesus and, you know, a vision for what he does in their lives, you know, and, and I really believe that that's the best way that we can help change things. Um, the other thing we're doing is a humanitarian aid project that we're calling Ukraine Aid. Uh, those are funds that are being distributed in the form of grants. We're, we're distributing those to churches and organizations and places all throughout those countries that are now taking care of the day-to-day -day needs of hundreds of refugees. Uh, for example, we're working with uh, an orphanage that we have worked with for a long time. And as you can imagine, many of the orphanages now have hundreds of extra kids from what they originally had. And these places are having to spend you know, 20 grand, 25 grand a month on baby formula. And now there's like a worldwide shortage of it. So the Ukraine aid fund is used for things like that. And we're, mm -hmm. we're taking care of places where they are sheltering refugees and their daily needs, you know, so that's what we're using Ukraine aid for. I think a beautiful underwriting from the Lord here is that the people that are overseeing the Ukraine aid fund at EEM are actually our very own Ukrainian employees who are now refugees themselves. They are overseeing the distribution of those funds to people that they know need it to take care of their own country people. So it's beautiful. And I love being a part of this. EEM is an amazing organization. It costs us $5 to give someone the Bible. It costs about two fifty for the children's Bibles. We have a matching fund going right now. So any $5 donation would actually result in four Bibles going out the door. And the campaign itself is going through the end of the summers. You know, we typically have about 150 to 180 publishing projects going on at once. I've been telling people lately, look, I don't know how much you can give, but God certainly does. And he has an opinion about it. So why don't you ask him in prayer? Also, if you gave us a thousand dollars or if you gave us a million dollars, we would use it right away. It would be used right away to give people the Bible. We literally can't keep up. So it would be great if people learned about EEM. Uh, you can go to www.eem.org. Check out Bibles for Kids. Check out Ukraine Aid. There's some really impactful ways that you can help right now. Okay. Well, I think our time is up. I guess I'll see you in Germany. That's actually, you know, where we've met. Oh, Loud and Proud Festival. Um, we really loved that festival. It was very, very cool. Yeah, so we'll see you there and thank you so much. And thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more great music and check out my blog page on the Solid Rock Radio website for my guests' social media links. If you've missed any of my past interviews, you can find them uploaded to podcast.solidrockradio.org. Have a wonderful week and let's be kind to one another.